let's take up our Bibles, please. And I'm not going to even tell you where to turn. You should know. If Kilton started last week on a few verses in that chapter, well done, Tanti. Gee, that's good. It's in Exodus 25. Let's pray together. Lord, it is an incredible privilege for us to be together today. I um, want to thank you for the joy that we have to be in this place and gather with your people. And I pray, Lord God, that you will help us to enjoy just the word, the beauty of the word together today. I pray, Father, that it will be refreshing to us, that it will stir us, and that we will literally drink from it and be inspired by it. And Holy Spirit, I ask that um, truly your, your name will be honored and glorified in this place through the reading of the word. I trust for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know. The clipboards are here. Are they not supposed to go somewhere? Are they gone? All right. Okay. Um, Exodus 25. And this morning, I want to talk to you about God with us. And, and what I am actually trusting the Lord for this morning, out of our gatherings, out of our moment together of, of looking through the book, or particularly what we're going to be looking at today from Exodus, I want to trust the Lord that you will fall in love with Jesus all over again. That's as far as my faith is stretching this morning. And so I, I really feel that what we're going to talk about has the potential to help us fall in love with God in a new way. And it's going to come from a portion of Scripture that you would least expect it from. <laughs> and so bear with me. I want to just introduce you quickly just to help you understand where we are. We've been going through 24 chapters already, and I want to just give you um, an, an outline of, of the first two and then focus on where we're going until the rest of our journey through Exodus. The first section or part of the book of Exodus was really just the following. It was God liberating Israel from Egypt. And you know this story. It's a beautiful narrative of Moses being born and all the rest happening, and we've gone through that in detail, and you're so welcome to carry on reading those portions. Then the second part is from Exodus 13 onward till chapter 24, where we saw God bringing Israel through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And an incredible thing happened as they got to Mount Sinai. And we looked at a couple of incidents from chapter 13 onward where, where God was working with His people, being very, very patient with them. He gave them the law. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, we focused on that. In our continued journey through the book of Exodus, we will be looking at the third section, which is chapters 25 until the end, chapter 40. And here we're going to see how God gives the, the blueprint for His people of the tabernacle. And now again, we, we get excited after 24. And when we go into the detail of, no, you've got to bring this, and Kilton did so well last week to inspire us about kingdom giving and, and what it means to be a giver uh, in God's kingdom. And so praise the Lord, well done, Kilton. Um, we got to that portion where, where we, the people were encouraged to give. And when you read further on, you kind of lose a little bit of the speed because it goes into all these details. And, and it shows you just how they're supposed to um, build it. The first section of chapter 25 to 40 talks about the design and what is necessary, all the material that they need to bring 
give out and, and, and give and contribute towards. And so the design of the, the tabernacle is explained. Then the next section we find is that this whole process of the tabernacle being built is temporarily suspended. Not because they ran out of material. The people of God didn't give. It's because they, they sinned. Moses is up on the mountain and he's getting instructions from the Lord. And, and boy, boy, they just carry on. They build their own little calf. And the very thing that God told them in Exodus 20, don't do, they do. None of you have ever had that kind of thing where you know what God says to do, but you, you don't do it. Or you, you know what he says you don't do, and, and then you do it, isn't it? Don't look at it up hands now. Anyway, so the third part of this section, 25 to 40, is then the actual uh, tabernacle completed with everything in it and, and God instructing how the, the priest should be clothed and, and they're anointed and they prepared for it. And, and it says that the cloud of God's glory came and rested on the tent. And so very interesting to note that we've got 24 chapters of great narrative and of great stories. And then from chapter 25 to 40, which is about 15 chapters, it's entirely almost dedicated to this thing called the tabernacle. And I think, and I, I'm guilty of this, that I kind of look at Exodus, the latter part, and the 15 chapters remaining, and I'm like, okay, how are we going to get through this thing? <laughs> this is going to be a tough, tough journey. But there's so much that actually is of incredible importance that even though it describes the tabernacle and its trimmings and everything that ought to be done, there's something of incredible importance. And if God gave 15 chapters to it, you've got to know it's not just about architectural design that he's after and impressing us with uh, how he can build and furnish a place. There's something deeper, and it's connected to our Christ, God with us. And God with us is the key element of, of what happens in Exodus. And so we find, sadly, that the latter part of Exodus is so difficult for us to read that we actually miss out on the heartbeat of the latter part of Exodus. And so I don't know how many of you enjoy just reading through chapter 25, 26, 27. Okay, it's just kind of so long and so big and so tall and so much and it's like <gasps> I don't know why I'm reading this I've got to just read it let's just get it over and done with and we miss something we miss the heartbeat of what God is trying to say and so I want to just take you through four things from this introduction really to this um, to these 15 chapters and I, I want to first of all give you the reason the reason that God really makes this important and so it's found here in chapter 25 and verse 8, and a couple of those with that that I'll share with you. It says, last week, and Kilton shared with us um, how people were encouraged to give and shared around the whole attitude of giving. It was great. And here we see in verse 8 that it says that God gives them the reason. And this is quite interesting. In verses 1 and 2, God says, speak to my people that they need to give. And he gives them the material that they ought to give, which included gold, silver, bronze, all those things, hey? and all different kinds of material, um, and, and stones even. But he never gives them a reason until this eight. Notice that. He tells them, I want you to give, 
And this is what I want you to give. And I, I can imagine, I'm like, okay, Moses, this, this is cool. Hey, God wants us to contribute. And, and okay, these are the things we ought to give. But, but why? What, what does God want this stuff from us? Hey, it's incredible that as even as human beings, when, when we would, and that's why we present, there's a banner there at the back that says, with others in mind, we make it visible, we make it clear that we've got this property and we want to do stuff from up there to reach this, this city, this country and beyond. And that's the reason why. But if we don't have that up and we're like, guys, why don't you just give like you normally do? Like some people say, well, if I know what you're going to do with the money, then I'll give. If you give me good reason why I should, then I'll give. But yeah, there's almost nothing. Just, guys, tell the people, Moses being told by God, tell your people, I want us to give. And this is what I want us to give. For no reason. Until verse 8. And we see it here that it says very clearly, and let them make me. And this is the, with what I have now will receive from them. As they give, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Very clear. The word sanctuary in Hebrew is makdash. Makdash, which really means a sacred and holy place. So God says, I want to, I want a place. I want to be amongst my people that I may dwell. The word dwell is yeshakan, which really means to live, to abide, to settle down. I want to just visit you. I don't want to just have a room where I can come in and go out as I wish. I want to have a place where I can be, I can settle with my people. And this is the incredible thing that we've got to capture and grab in our hearts about these chapters. That God wants to come and be with us. And we know that as I will later on show you from the New Testament, that He doesn't abide in a building anymore or settles in a tent. You are the tent. But the point is that God here introduced something so profound. In verse 22 of chapter 25, listen to this. Still explaining, he says, there, after having explained everything about the Ark of the Covenant, he says, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony. And then it says, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandments for the people of Israel. So God is saying, once you've created this place for me, that's where I will meet with you and I will speak with you. And it's not just, oh, that's God's corner. Now God wants to engage us. We read about this and, and it's up on the board, 29, verse 29, verse 43. Come on, stay with me as we just... Dive into this beautiful reality that God wants to be with us and that He is with us. It says here in verse 43 of 29, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Again, that word shakan comes through as God says, I will dwell, I will settle. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the tent, the tabernacle that we are talking about. And so we see from, I mean, there's so much detail that we can go into. And it's not really to impress you with information. It's to express something to you about God's heart, about his desire 
to be with his people. So the, the reason for the next few chapters in Exodus is all about this tabernacle. But not just about the physical building or tent and the material and the furniture inside. It speaks about God's heart for his people. And I think this is the sad thing that we miss. We read into the detail and what is supposed to be done and how wide and how big and how tall. And we get bored with it, but we don't see the heart behind it. That God is trying to express something incredible. You see, the thing is this. In Genesis, we have a place called the Garden in Eden. It's not really the Garden of Eden. Eden was a place. The Garden was in Eden. So we have a garden in Eden where everything was perfect. And God said, I want them to come and be with me. And we know what happened, that, that man sinned and they lost this incredible closeness with God. And ever since then, man had been separated from God. We have the incredible experiences throughout Genesis where individual men would be able to hear from God. Abraham heard from God. God spoke to him. But in particularly in Exodus, we see that God has this desire. He says, let my people go so that they may come and worship me. And so God had this ultimate thing of, I want to have something of Eden being brought back so that my people can experience me in full. And so Moses goes on top of the mountain. You know the story where Moses goes to the top and, he, and, and God speaks to him and the cloud is there. But now God says, and as we read scripture, this is the, these are the deductions that we make. Is that God is saying, hey, Moses, I spoke to you, but actually I want you to create a place where I can be amongst my people. I want to have a mini, mini Eden again where my people can, can know that I love them, that I'm with them. And so this is what God was setting up. So we summarize Exodus as follows. We say, Israel came out of slavery. Israel went through the wilderness. Israel is invited now into his presence. Beautiful, huh? And I think just we've got we've to make space in our heads to go beyond just the detail of the, the facts and, and, and the numbers of this and the numbers of that. Is that this is the moment that God is saying, I'm inviting you into my presence. So you're drawn out of Egypt be drawn in. You're drawn out, be drawn in. And drawn in is not a place, Canaan. Canaan is not the ultimate thing that they are focusing on and that God wants them to focus on. But by the way, they're experiencing the tabernacle en route to Canaan. And eventually we know that the tabernacle became the temple that, that King Solomon eventually built. And it had the same idea, outer court, inner court, holier place and holy of holies. And eventually that was destroyed. But God was saying, I want to be among my people. And I love that. I love that. And so I just want to help you understand a little bit. So the th second thing I want us to focus on is on material. And as I said, we, just not, we don't have enough time to look at all of these. If you want to do yourself a favor, go and just study some of the material that God had put together and that, that were given and what they had done with the material and how they put up and built the tabernacle and the significance of all this. But I, I want to just give you some and again, just kind of briefly touch on it. 
So the material in, in the tabernacle and the everything surrounding it was used to point to a greater reality. God wanted them to consider. So everything that he brought together, that people gave, everything that was built was actually to point to a greater reality than just an altar or a table. It was supposed to actually point to God himself. So God is in this. So he's saying, actually, I want you to see something of me. I want you to taste something of me. But we know that the objects could never fully reveal the greatness of God. You can't take a bread and say, this is God. It's impossible. But you can use symbolism attached to it and say, hey, this makes me think of, of God. This helps me to understand who God is. Just the other day, my, um, I had some time with my family in, in Pretoria in South Africa. And my dad had passed away in August last year. So there were some items that, that's lying around. And we're just looking at it. And we're like reminiscing. Like, hey, where does this come from? And um, Don't worry, Kilton is flying to Eswatini today. So that's why he's going out. It's not because of anything I've tasted. Um, he's got to go work there. Um, but I just rec realized a special moment. You know, you go through things and you, hey, this is something that I remember and loved. And, and, and you know, I've brought some of that with me home. But it's not him. It's just something about him. It points to him. But it's not him. And so we can never try to bring objects into our lives that say this is God. It could just point to him. And that's why it's dangerous that we become almost obsessed with items and objects and say, well, this is God. It never is God. And so God wanted to use these objects and these items and the furniture to point us to a greater reality, and that's him. And today, praise the Lord, we don't need objects and items. They're here. You and I have become that. So you and I point and should point to a greater reality. And his name is Jesus. Hence, we are ambassadors. We are the light. We are the salt of the earth. We've got to represent him in such a way that people would, when in the Old Testament they would go and they see, um, for instance, the, the lampstand, which talks about this continuous light that was shining. And on, on the opposite side of the, of the room was the table of showbread that would 12 loaves, which spoke about the 12 tribes of Israel. And it, this light was continually shining upon the 12 loaves, which said God was constantly shining upon his people. Beautiful symbolism. But we don't need that anymore. Because the light of God has come to live inside of us. And the reality is that Jesus is our bread that we live from. And, we, and he says, I am the bread of life. You can live off me. You can feed off me. So these things have become real for us. The colors, for instance, in the, in the material that was used, all spoke about royalty, which speaks about God our king. The tabernacle, like the garden in Eden, is where God dwells. And various details of the tabernacle suggest it's actually a mini Eden. There would be, and you read this in Scripture in these chapters, 25 onwards, where it was said, this is what you should do. You should have material with cherubim on it, that when people go into the holy place, that they will be aware of just cherubim, which are angels. You go read in Genesis chapter 2, 
actually, yeah, it's Genesis chapter 3, I think, where, where God said when, when Adam and Eve were literally kicked out of the garden, there were guards at the garden. And they were cherubim. So it's not just accessible to anybody anymore. But now at the temple or the tabernacle with these curtains, eventually you saw on top of the uh, mercy seat, these two golden images were built of cherubim. Guarding God's presence, but actually saying, you're also invited. So now suddenly what was no longer available in the Garden of Eden is available only to some, I understand. But God is leading us to something better to come. And so, there were, by the way, lots of gold in Eden. There's a lots of, there are lots of gold in, um, in the tabernacle as well. There's one thing that's mentioned here in Exodus. It says the stuff that they gave, the people were giving onyx stones. It says there in chapter, chapter 25 and verse 7, onyx stones. Now, onyx is a word or a, a type of stone that's probably mentioned most in the Bible as one of the precious stones. But there were onyx stones in the garden in Eden as well. Again, it's like, uh, well, what kind of information is that? It's like, doesn't really matter. It does. God is saying, what, what I created in Eden, I'm trying to let you start tasting of it again as I built the tabernacle. And we know that eventually the tabernacle is made completely obsolete when Jesus came. And so his presence is amongst us with the Holy Spirit today. So it's beautiful. <laughs> you should start reading. And by the way, you read in, in Revelation 21 as well, uh, the precious stones and the foundation of the new Jerusalem, onyx stones. Right in the beginning, tabernacle, onyx stones were used on the breastplate, by the way, of the, of the priests. And they were the ones that were able to go in. So it speaks of God's presence. This beautiful dwelling experience that we can have. Next, I want to talk to you about the motivation. Why? Why all of this? Why so many things? Why so much detail? Why the effort of almost 15 chapters of telling us about this, this structure, a tent, <laughs> and God's desire? By the way, God goes and He speaks to Moses. And, and again, there's so much about this that we can talk about. But, but God speaks to Moses and he uses these words. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses about and 17 times up to chapter 6. Where God is passionate about making sure that Moses gets the message. And then you go and find the you shall. Where, where God had said to Moses um, the following. He introduces it. Like these chunky chapters or chunky portions where it says the Lord spoke to Moses. And then it says the Lord speaking, you shall, you shall, you shall over a hundred times. Where God is very clearly leading Moses into making sure meticulously that people build because it's about him. And we can't create something that would, you know, kind of be the best for God, but God says, my desire is to be amongst you, and therefore create a place for me, so that you can understand who I am, how holy I am, and God says, there's a time where you've got to understand that I, I come with judgment, but there's also the time that I come with mercy, as we find in the mercy seat, and so God was 
telling Moses to, to build something heavenly with earthly material to tell us that he's actually serious desiring to be amongst us. Make, do it right, is what they should be saying through Moses. So his motivation for all of this was that his people would step into the place and literally be in two worlds at the same time. Imagine this. In an earthly location, the tabernacle, but also in God's presence. So God was saying, this is possible. I'm from heaven, you're on earth, but I can bring heaven to earth that you can actually be in two worlds at the same time. Probably some of the best examples we can use to help one another understand it is this whole thing of embassies in a foreign country. You go into an embassy of whatever nation it is that you want to go into, it's in a foreign country. I remember going into the South African embassy in London, and it was good. People spoke Afrikaans in that moment. It was amazing. It's like heaven had come to earth. Okay? That's it. South African embassy in the middle of London. I suppose Trafalgar Square, I think. And uh, so it's like, man, that's actually South African soil. You go into an American embassy, you can't just go and tell the Americans what they need to do in their embassy. That's their spot. American soil, American rights on Zimbabwean soil. And that's why in movies, people, when they flee the locals, they run into an embassy, isn't it? Like, I'm American, where's the American embassy? I've got to get, you know, you know, just find my way out of this whatever mess I'm in. And, and so... This is what is, in a very simple way, trying to illustrate to us that God has established something here on earth of heavenly value. His presence. God with us. In a sense, we don't have to go to heaven to experience God. We can experience God already, right now, because God is with us. And we know, praise the Lord, it's not in a tent. So before the tabernacle was built, Moses met God on the mountain. The cloud was on the mountain. But once it was finished, as I said to you, God moves into the tabernacle and the cloud now fills the tabernacle as God came to his people. And the fullness of this is something I believe we still need to take to us because somehow we don't live in the full realization of this, that the cloud has actually come and it's not somewhere in Israel in a tent. By the way, the fullness of this was, was already experienced by Moses. When he went up on the mountain, the Bible says he went for how many nights? Forty nights and forty days. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 9 verse 9 that he didn't eat nor drink. And we know science will tell us, doctors will tell you, that I don't know what is the longest period that a person can go out without water. Forget about food, but just water. Anyone? Three days. Maximum. Three days that you can survive without water because your body needs water. Moses went for 40 days. Does that make sense? It doesn't. It's not possible. But what fed him? What brought life to his mortal body? It can only be God. It can only be the one that brings life that when we don't even have food, and this last week we fasted, and people fasted all sorts of things, and food, and whatever it was, and coffee. Some of the people got really angry because of the absence of coffee, but they worked through it, and praise the Lord, they're still alive, I think. Um, but the point is, we are craving for things constantly. And we need these things in our lives because we think we can't live without them. 
But here Moses goes without food and drink because God keeps him alive. And Jesus said this when he was tempted, remember? Matthew 4, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now imagine, try to picture this with me. 40 days in the, on the mountain, there's no food, there's no drink, and God is speaking to him. He says, this is what you shall do. This is what you ought to do. Do you think that the words that God spoke and the life that God breathed out of him in prison was enough and ought to have been enough for Moses to manage to survive. Because he came down and he wasn't about to die. He actually shone the glory of God. So the point is this. When you and I make time for God, when you and I listen to God, when you and I allow him to speak into our lives like Moses seemingly did, definitely did, for 40 days we can manage. It's like a stretch, eh? We had a week of fasting. <laughs> the point is this, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to understand there's something beautiful about God. That every time that he speaks, it brings life to us. The last thing I want to say is, and this is where we now transition from the Old Testament into the New and I want to call it the connection. And this is where we connect the New Testament truth and New Testament reality because Jesus became the ultimate fulfillment of this tabernacle. Listen to what John writes in John chapter 1 and verse 14. Such a beautiful, beautiful way in which it is described. John talking about Jesus, the Word becoming flesh. And he says in verse 14, and the Word capital letters in my Bible, W, the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, it says, and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen His glory, glory is of, only, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I want to say to you, the word dwell here, by the way, is a Greek word called skeneo, skeno, rather, which means to dwell in a tent, to abide, to tabernacle. Some translations would actually say, and Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So what we see in the Old Testament beautifully described and illustrated and, and, and celebrated as God coming, it was only a place, one location on the whole earth, which eventually became something that they experienced in the temple. But still this, God was not everywhere. But here now what we find is that the presence of God is no longer... Garden of Eden, it's no longer tabernacle, temple, it's now Jesus. So Jesus comes and he dwells amongst us. He tabernacles amongst But it still is just the reality that it's just Jesus. It's like, that's why people flock to him, because they knew and they recognized, not all, that he was the son of God. And that he brought heaven to earth. They wanted to be amongst him. I would have run to him, I hope. Some people ran away from him. Imagine running away from heaven instead of running to heaven. Maybe this morning I want to encourage you, if you're running away from God, change it and run to him. Enjoy him. And so we find that Jesus becomes a the depiction of God's presence here on earth. Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us. 
it doesn't stay there. So again, if it had, uh, Jesus had never left the earth 2,000 years ago, it would have been wonderful. Jesus would have done a lot of things, I'm sure. But we still would have needed to go to him to experience God's presence. We would have flown, and, and people do that. When, when there's a rumor of there's a godly manifestation or divine thing happening in Italy, oh, the whole world flow, flies there because they want to just go and see, maybe this is God, isn't it? You've seen that when people do that. Imagine if Jesus was still around. But Jesus had said, it's better that I go. Because you know what? It's better to have Holy Spirit inside of you than Jesus beside you. And so Jesus said, that's why the Father's presence comes through me being amongst you, dwelling amongst you, tabernacling amongst you. But actually, I need to go. Because unless I go, the Father cannot send Holy Spirit to be in you, not just amongst you, not just next to you, not just on a, in a tabernacle or in a temple or in a location somewhere in the world. He says, it's better that I go because God wants to be with us. And so we read this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 also, where it says, Paul writing, that you are the temple, or shall I say the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, bringing us into the Exodus 25 onward um, context. So he says, no longer do we have to make these buildings and build these things. And by the way, what we want to build on the property is not to have a place where God would come to. No, no, no. It's where God's people will go to. Having been with God wherever they go because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's this beautiful portion at the end. This is how everything will end in Revelations 22 verse 3. Just again talking about God with us. In the beginning it was God in the garden. And then it became God in the tabernacle. And then it became God in His Son after the temple. And then it became God in you and me where we are right now, we will eventually find this. Revelations 22 and verse 3. 21 rather, verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be as with them as their God. Where you and I were in bodily form, will experience a new heaven and a new earth, and God will be with us. That is where we ultimately are going. But in the meantime, God is inside of us. And so no longer the garden, no longer the tabernacle, nor the temple, no longer just Jesus around. And praise the Lord for what you've come to do, Jesus. But thank you, Holy Spirit, that you bring God's presence in us so that we can experience God with us. God with us. And so this morning as I close, I just want to say to you, if you if you perhaps here sitting and you you don't know God, you've never really pursued God or walked in relationship with God, I want to ask you this question. How would it change your thinking in your life to know that God came to live with you because you loved him? How would it change the way that you think currently about just being ignorant of God, just thinking, God, you came to live in me. You want to live in me. And I've got to just recognize that your son died on the cross for me. 
God wants to do in you. If you're a believer this morning, how would it change your life to know that God longs for you more than you long for Him? We see just some of these um, expressions of how God wants to let the tabernacle look like, that God longs to be with us. How would it change your life today as a believer to know that God longs to be with you and that He desires for you to meet with Him and enjoy His presence? God with us should be a way in which we consider our daily affairs. Because I can't go without Him, but I can't also go from Him. Because He's always there. And so wherever I go, whatever I do, it's not just to keep me from sin. It's to keep me towards righteousness and to honoring God and to loving Him. So often we say, well, watch it. God's watching you. Yeah, that's great. But you know what? God is watching me to guide me into truth, to guide me into righteousness, and to guide me into loving people and to serving people too. Mostly that's what He wants to do. God with us. How would it change your life to know that God never leaves you, that He's always there, that God with us is a reality? And I want to encourage you that if you just consider just how God values His presence by giving us a detail of how the tabernacle should have looked like, clearly that He values His presence. He's going to have gold for this and gold for that and do it this way and do it meticulously well and 10 cubits. And by the way, a cubit is basically from here to there. That's a cubit. And so God's saying, build it this long and that high and because he values his presence amongst us. Question, I need to ask myself and ask you is do I also value his presence the same way? Because if I do, then it affects the way that I live and the decisions I make, and that a time that I give for Him, and the effort I make to enjoy with my Father. So Lord, I pray this morning that You will help us as Your people. From just this story in Exodus, and we've got our journey still ahead of us, Lord, through this beautiful book. I want to pray, Lord, that we will value your presence as much as you value it. When you tell us that you're a holy God, then in your presence, there's this respect and awe that is required. I pray, Lord, that we will consider your presence in the same light. And I also pray, Lord God, that we will consider your presence with us all the time that we will recognize there's never a moment that I'm on my own. And as Paul says, that I, whether I eat or drink, I'm glorified God. I don't want to just glorify God when I go to a tabernacle or to a tent. Because God lives inside of me. The tabernacle is everywhere I go. And so help us, Holy Spirit, to recognize that in our lives, that as your church, not just King City Church, but as your people, that we will value the tabernacle of God inside of us. That we will value your presence even right now in this moment. That even as we leave from here, that we will continue to value you and honor you and respect you. That you are God with us. And that the way that we live in this world will be God with us. 
God inside of me, the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I speak, Lord God will be considering God in me the whole time. Thank you that you've come to save us. Thank you that you pursued us right from the garden, right to the very last minute, God, you keep on pursuing us. And at this very moment, Holy Spirit, you're pursuing people to draw closer to you. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will respond to you in the right way that our hearts will be open to save us. Lord God, thank you for your presence. I honor you. I recognize you. I want to be with you. I want to enjoy you. I also want you to enjoy me. I pray, Father, that the way in which we value your presence will be so that you will enjoy our presence and that our presence will bring glory and honor to you wherever we go. I trust for that in Jesus' name.